the culture is like a landlord culture because it's plantation right it's like a very uh, old traditional culture there and then you cannot uh, convince them only by using numbers and i need to understand the way that people doing things in plantations that is actually very personalized Welcome everybody to Equality Podcast Season 2. We are so pleased to have with us Albert Octavianus from Indonesia. Thank you for joining us from halfway around the world. A little bit about Al, background in industrial engineering and quality management and is now in HR. And he's here to talk with us about his journey into that side of the business and how he applies the principles of quality management to the Human Resources Department and Talent Acquisition. We're so happy to have Al with us today. Albert, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine, doing great here in Indonesia. And then uh, I already get my beauty sleep uh, to have a talk with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully well, I, I can go through this and then like... <laughs> I noticed the... the uh, <laughs> saw the skyline in the background. So is that uh, where, you're, where you're at right now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is actually uh, part of the historic uh, area in Jakarta. As you can see, there are these tall uh, monuments, which are our uh, like, uh, national monuments uh, in the city of Jakarta. And then here you have like, uh, these two big uh, two buildings with uh, one of the biggest malls in, in, in Jakarta and then one of the like, uh, most, uh, I think it's the biggest, uh, not the biggest, sorry, uh, cathedrals in Jakarta also. And here you got like, it used to be the only one that managed the oil uh, and gas in Indonesia. Well, that's really cool. I'd love to visit someday. And, and it's so great to have somebody, you know, from Indonesia to speak on the podcast today and share a little bit about your background and culture. So why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and the journey you're on? Uh, thank you, John. So, uh, like you mentioned previously that I come actually my education background in industrial engineers and I focus on the quality management part. Well, the traditional ways uh, doing like a profit journey, professional journey uh, at that time, uh, especially in my country, uh, we have like these uh, traditions, well, quote unquote traditions, uh, mostly for some people there, uh, educated people, that we're trying to put, uh, you know, going into the same uh how you say it, the same track uh related to our backgrounds i mean that's the, the traditional way of uh doing uh, our, uh creating a career i mean like uh, maybe 20 or 30 years ago even until now some people still doing that so after i graduated from uh the industrial engineer backgrounds and then i tried to do that kind of career and then uh, uh, because my thesis and then actually uh, even my, my, uh, my dad is uh, going into the same, uh, you know, same track of the career as engineer. And then uh, I, I pursue uh, like a freelance consulting in uh, ISO, ISO 1000 at the time. And uh, it's actually doing quite good uh, for like a couple of years, even before I graduated and I make that uh, freelance career as a baseline uh, for the topic for my thesis. But when I 
took up my postgraduate degree. I take my master's degree. I got a hook into uh, the marketing area, the marketing sites, right? Because uh, I found out that I like to deal with people and then connect with people. And then uh, learning about marketing is actually giving me that uh, channel to do that. So uh, I tried to pursue actually the career marketing. So from uh, the engineering backgrounds, I did it a couple of years there uh, as a freelance and also working in small, medium business companies. Also work in a warehouse, production warehouse actually, Jake. Uh, and then, uh, but after that, I tried to pursue my career marketing. Uh, that didn't go actually quite well, <laughs> marketing area, because uh, in uh, uh, around 30 years or 20 years ago, uh, Marketing in Indonesia is still like uh, synonymous with, uh, you know, it sales. So when people talk about marketing, they talk about sales. So it's marketing and sales. Uh, they don't uh, really, uh, you know, quite have a focus on the marketing strategy. They only focus on the execution of the sales. So that's why I try to focus on the marketing part, the strategy part, the branding part. Uh, but since a lot of the companies that I tried to pursue didn't uh, have that kind of segregations yet. So then I just dropped the marketing part and then I'm going into the change management part uh, in my third stage of my career. Actually. And this uh, after, uh, just after I graduated from my master's degree and I take uh, a job in uh, change management. Uh, and please keep in mind that around 30 years ago, change management is almost unheard of in Indonesia. Uh, it started like uh, from the initiative comes from the technology companies implementing ERP systems in Indonesia, and then uh, these technology consulting companies. And then I, but I'm from the user part in the industry sites, so I become the counter, the counterpart of that. Uh, consulting companies. Uh, but the interesting thing is like uh, my first change management career is actually uh, under the IT divisions. But in that uh, career, in my first step in change management is actually uh, I work a lot with the HR people. So uh, I think that's my first taste of uh, HR. I think it's around in 2004 at the time. Uh, and then Gradually, I work my way into the judgment part, working with HR guys, uh, HR people, and then I dabbled a bit again in uh, business development or marketing, but again, doesn't work that well. Uh, when 2008 global crisis comes, and I switch career again uh, into change management. We thought it's actually not by design, but actually they opened uh, like when after I tried to find a uh, uh, a new careers, but the change management is there, was there. So I changed it again in the change management and it's under the HR part. So I think from there, uh, my career is going on until uh, now related to HR and the change management. Well, that's a fantastic journey and gives you a broad base for really assessing where you're at. And as you look at a business and how they're operating, you have a very large tool set to sort of look at and pick from um, in order to execute well. And I really like the aspect where change management and HR go hand in hand. 
one of the things that I've found in my career is that the change management initiatives often lack a close connection to the talent management part of the business so that when change is introduced, it's not integrated into the onboarding. And in fact, we had a good conversation with Marnie uh, last week about this very thing. So what did you find when you started working with the human resources group? Was there a large gap between the change management planning and how HR was onboarding talent? So that's, uh, I think, uh, one of the topics that uh, what we call like gap of disciplines. Uh, I mean, uh, in terms of change management disciplines and then the HR disciplines, right? Because uh, when I was uh, my first career as a change management and I'm knowing that change management is actually under the IT part, I think it's a little bit, you know, uh, makes uh, much more sense in terms of like, uh, okay, so you implement the new systems and then because it uh, needs to, uh, the change needs to be managed and then uh, there's a relationship there, right? And then, uh, but like I said, Jot, when I uh, move into the change under the HR, yes, there's a little bit of, you know, uh, how do you say, but I'm not going to say it's a gap, maybe there are discrepancies uh, because saying that there are uh, two perspectives here, uh, mostly in Indonesia about change management, right? Uh, they were saying that, uh, oh, so you're the soft part of change management or the hard part of change management. The soft part is mostly dealing with the, the, the people and then how you change their mindsets, how you change their perspective, everything like that, mostly using the, the, the communication and buy-in strategy, everything else. But the hard part, you're trying to convince them using a tangible, like tangible benefits, tangible, uh, you know, KPI, something like that. So uh, that's why uh, actually my 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 uh, quality management background works uh, great in both areas. First of all, in the hard part, because I, I'm trying to convince the people. The easiest part is like, okay, so you know what? If you if you implement this project, your process time can uh, reduce until this, right? And it makes me it, it makes much more easier when people can see tangible things. But on the soft part. I think this is the part that you're mentioning, John, that uh, there's a little bit of discrepancy there when you're trying to, uh, okay, you try to have a buy-in for the peoples, but on the other side, it's like, what about their skills? How about their skillings, right? Because when you, people already accepted that, uh, okay, so uh, I'm, I want to change. Now I accept the change, right? I accept the initiative. But what can we do to make it less painful for them? Now, this is part of the change management that actually a very important part, but sometimes most of the change management practitioners or even the consultants uh, take it for granted. This is something that we call the chance impact, right? And we have uh, what we call the chance impact analysis. Now, from the result of the chance impact analysis, you can divide it like the people process and technology part. And the people part is actually like, okay, if you change this process, you change policies, what kind of impact they will impact to your people and organization and the structure and everything else. Now, this is where the talent management part comes in. So uh, I think there, there are some, uh, you know, uh, not some actually, I think a lot of change impact analysis results actually uh, have the impact into the talent management. But how you're going to follow it up 
this is uh, where the HR people comes in. This is how a change management have to convince not only the users that be impacted by the change, but also the HR. For example, like uh, maybe you have a project in the finance department, right? Maybe you have to change their, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the way they do budgeting and something like that, and then you need a change management there. But the HR people doesn't get involved in their project because of you saying, okay, you're not my stakeholders. The stakeholders mostly are for the finance divisions, right? But when you do the change impact and you know that, hey, if you want to change the way they do budgeting, I think you should uh, have them uh, up skills uh, in their talents or the reskilling on new certifications. Now you go to the HR part and you convince them saying that hey, HR people or like the LND people, learning development people, right? You know what? Your finance department really need these certifications. Have you already included in your curriculums? Or like, if you have a new onboarder onboarding uh, for new candidates in your companies, do you already consider that they need to have this kind of certifications, or they, uh, or, or like, uh, you can go uh, and then talk to their supervisor saying that, okay, we're going to take like uh, one month or two months of your uh, new onboarding or your new candidates uh, before he or she can work uh, perfectly for the certifications. Now, these kind of things that uh, you know. Uh, that hopefully can close their discrepancies gap. So, yeah, uh, I am thinking you have a, a very, very big battle in front of you. Is generally the HR person like is the enemy? <laughs> They're the person <laughs> I'm trying to stay as far away from, like period, no matter what. So what is your approach to I need to convince somebody to change from Y to X? How do you go about doing that? Okay, so uh yeah, I think I think it's a global perspective, right? I mean, uh, some of the HR, I'm not saying all, like, uh, but some are the HR people are considered like the enemy of the states. <laughs> <Sorry for that>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, okay. For for me, I mean, like uh, when I talk about change situation or HR, right? Because I I've been in those two positions, right? And then uh, even even in in uh, you know intermittently, I mean, like. Uh, like in one company, I have to wear my HR hat, and then after any project, I have to wear my change management hat, something like that, right? So I taste the best of both worlds, <laughs> and, the worst. and then uh, when you're saying that uh, HR have to become, uh, like maybe uh, some of them become the enemy of the state, because they have to become the bridge, right? They have to become the, the, the face of the company, but they have also to accommodate the, 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 the needs of the employees, right, for the employee engagement. But saying that, when you're trying to, to, to uh, make people change from uh, A to B or COT, and then uh, I think uh, the first thing that uh, we need to uh, keep in mind is like, are we going to change their mindsets or are we going to change the way they work? So these two are uh, the things that uh, even in the, in, the, in the change management world is still like... Uh, little bit of divided view. I mean, not all, but uh, I've met some of just management practitioner, HR practitioner saying that, no, uh, in order for people to change, you have to change their mindset first. And they're saying that, no, in order for people to change, you have to change that, the way of working first and their behaviors and their habits, then you can change their mindset. So for me, I think I've, I've worked uh, using both strategies. And then, uh, but all I can say is like, uh, 
The second strategy, like uh, you have to change their behavior first or the way they're working first, works a little bit better than trying to change their mindset first. You know what I'm saying? Because like... Uh, mm, interesting. Yeah, do <laughs> yeah, tell. Because, yeah, I mean, uh, because uh, like if you build your, your, your behaviors, it's come from like repetitive habits, right? And if you do a new way of working repetitively, it, it got ingrains in your like a muscle memory. And, some, and then it's going to impact also with your mindset. So somebody you did it uh, because uh, just like a muscle memory, something like that. But uh, this is for, for maybe like, because change uh, comes in uh, three arenas, right? I call it uh, I, uh, 3H, like the head, the hand, and the heart, right? And then uh, you try to focus first. Uh, like if you try to focus on the head first, the mindset first, sometimes you have to go into what uh, we call the logic war. So you have to challenge their logic, why you don't want to change, something like that, right? But if you try to change their hand first, it will impact their heart. Uh, if you can do both, like uh, the way they work, the way they have do the, the things, the habits, and then uh, you can, uh, you know, uh, influence them emotionally then uh, the last one the head is the last thing and then it's like much more easier the mindset part uh and saying that uh one thing that uh for example i give you a analogy right here in Indonesia, we are trying to uh create like a new habit like every time you go into a building you have to wash your hands even outside before you enter the building right and then not all the people are doing that for sure. Uh, and then uh, even me, <laughs> guilty as charged, because uh, sometimes I, I want to wash my hands like, oh, I have to touch knobs. No, thank you. And then like, where are these water coming from? I know that's, that's the question. John, zoom in on those unwashed hands. <laughs> zoom in on them right now. <laughs> because this, that's the engineer in me talking, right? Where the water coming from? Is it clear? Is it filtered? And then... Uh, <laughs> And then I, I, I trust my, my, my uh, disinfectant spray uh, better than those waters, right? <laughs> but actually, because they provide the soap, everything else. Now, but the thing is, you have to nudge them, right? You have to nudge their behavior, uh, become repetitive behavior. So this is where you have to influence not the people who are trying, uh, who are trying to get into the building or, or the mindset that, oh, you need to be clean. You need to be... Uh, you know, uh, safe and everything else. But you have to work with the ecosystem or the infrastructure. They're actually pushing, nudging the behaviors. First of all, like the securities, people are uh, waiting at the gates, right? The second, maybe the place, I mean, the, the, the road, like maybe in, uh, is it like in a Kanban, you create like a yellow lines, like people have to walk over there. If you want to go in the building, you cannot go on that way. They have to walk over there. In this line, you have to wait Wash your hand, then you can come in. Because usually maybe you have uh, like these rotating gates, people can come in from left and right, but here they are forced. And then when the workers in that building uh, becoming like a habit relatively, it becomes like a muscle memory. Like three months comes and then uh, in, this, uh, in this limited lockdown, I saw that people are like, yeah, while talking to their friends, they are like unconsciously walking to the lines, to the yellow lines, washing their hands while talking and then uh, taking phone calls and then washing their hands coming. Yeah, ab absolutely. John, give us your thoughts there on behavior drives the culture and not the other way around. 
Yeah, some great stuff to unpack there, Al. So broadly speaking, for change management, people have to change. And you mentioned the three H's, the head, the heart, and the hands. And maybe sometimes organizations make the mistake of trying to start with the head and convince people this is the smart thing to do. This is the right thing to do. And maybe it's more effective to change behaviors. And as people start doing things differently, that can change their heart. So let's say that I am working in a warehouse environment and I'm moving product. And then Al comes along, does an analysis and says, if we change the process, we can make your job easier. The people who hear that might and probably will have a lot of resistance to that change. But if the approach is, let's do it differently and see how it goes. As they start following the new process, their heart gets won over because they're experiencing the benefits of the change. And all of a sudden, they're like, hey, I have to work less hard to get better outcomes. I kind of like this. And then we circle around and say, yeah, that's why we did this. And at that point, the barriers to intellectual acceptance have largely been knocked down. And then you followed that up with a fantastic example, talking about queuing for hand washing before entering buildings. If, in this case, the city just makes the rule everyone has to wash their hands before entering the building, there's not going to be a large uptake in behavior change but you can change the environment to make those behaviors more likely. So you gave the example of have a yellow line that people follow, single file to get in, have the hand washing station right there, have it right before the security guard who's essentially watching everybody. Um, and so by changing the environment, you change the game, you incentivize behaviors. And as people get used to it, that starts to change their hearts and minds about the benefits. Is that a good uh, good recap? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think like uh, that's really uh, you know uh, someone crystallized the essence uh, of change management by doing uh, the heart at the heart, the hand, and the, the head, and that's good. Uh, and then uh, I want to talk a little bit about the culture part. Uh, I mean, like. Uh, we're not uh, going to, to, to leave out the, the, the way uh, like uh, of the approach using the mindset change first. We still use that, but we're just not going to focus on that area while doing the managing change. Why? We want to keep like uh, what we call the leadership commitment, right? And then this leadership commitment is uh, actually like uh, maybe uh, you heard that uh, culture change from the top, right? So we're going to still to engage the leaderships. We're going to uh, maintain or like engage their commitments and then uh, uh, actually asking their commitments why because in every change initiative they're always like uh, what they call the depression fail failures in the curve what maybe uh, uh, we call the Kubel Kubel Ross curve like uh, you're going up and then suddenly uh, when you face a change and then you're going into like this deep depression and going up again right the curve so when we're going into the depth, uh, depth because 
if you want to change and just a major change, then you might experience the pain at first before you're going up and then rise again much better than the previous part, right? When you go in that pain or you experience that pain of change, that's where besides uh, using the, 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 the behaviors uh, part, uh, behaviors uh, engineering, we're going to use the leadership uh, support to maintain, uh, I mean, to lessen the impact of the pain. So when people go into the pain, leadership become, it's okay, you're going to get better. It's okay, we will uh, reach you all the way. So this is where the, the, the part when uh, the, 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 the mindset thing comes, right? So uh, we try to do both ways, but uh, we try to, to, to put our effort as a change practitioner in the, the hands and the heart first, but we still not going to leave out the, the, head, first, the head part because that's where uh, we ask the leadership commitments to help lessen the impact uh, from the pain that going through the change initiative. So I think uh, that's why uh, we still need both, but we just uh, need to be concerned like, okay, which part do I have to focus on, right? So this is something that uh, we need to consider in managing change. So that's a great comment on culture and Let's just zoom out a little bit and talk about your context. We have some silos within the business. So we have operations and they are doing stuff to make money for the business. And then you have this change management silo, which helps the operation to make changes to improve. And then you have the human resources silo, which helps to train workers to change their behaviors, to run the business. And even within the change management silo, there's sort of a differentiation between hard and soft change management, where the hard change management is the engineering side, doing studies, figuring out what needs to change. And then the soft side, which is sort of convincing people, hey, this is a good thing to do. So already, we've just described a culture and the definition for culture that I often use when talking with companies is it's just what we do and say every day. And they sort of, the actions and the speech sort of become habitualized. They sort of become memorialized. They sort of become habits and that's what our culture is. So if you have an organization that's divided up like this, that's already a culture that's in place. And so as we're trying to change with that change management, there's a necessity for the change manager to understand and grasp the culture they're working in and tailor their speech to the different people, different organizational silos, different leaders, in order to maximize buy-in and speed up the facilitation of change? Well, I think uh, that's one keyword that's very uh, important there, John, that you mentioned, tailor, right? Because uh, in these uh, days, uh, doing the change management part is actually knowing uh, your, your, your employees, right? Uh, knowing your stakeholders, like you say, it should be tailored. Your approach should be tailored, uh, not uh, like a one, uh, you know, one approach that fits all, but the tailored part. 
Because, uh, okay, going back into the culture part, right? Yes, uh, when, uh, what you see as employees, as for what you experience, because I believe employee engagement comes from employee experience first. You have to experience it, immerse in it, then you can become engaged. And this is where the culture part comes, right? Because it's something that you see and then some things that you talk about every day, like you said, John, right? And then as a change management, yeah, you have to understand that part first. That's a very good take on that. Because if not, uh, and then you cannot, I mean, like, you cannot tailor it. Like, uh, I was, uh, people were saying that uh, a couple of years back, uh, you have to think outside the box. You have to think outside the box, right? But I was thinking, uh, like, okay, but to think outside the box, I have to know about the box first, right? And this is something that the change management people are saying, okay, if I want to enhance the culture or even change the culture part, I need to know about the culture first. If not, then I won't know what kind of gap that I need to change in terms of the, the silos and the initiative, everything else. So this one part, if I want to tailor uh, my approach in change management, I have to know what are the cultures, uh, like the, 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 the artifacts of the culture first, uh, what are the tip of the iceberg of the cultures that people see, and then uh, tangibility of the cultures, then I can tailor them to get a buy-in. So like uh, I told you that, like an operational part, right? Uh, because I spent like uh, uh, half of my careers in uh, consulting and half of my careers in the user sites, right? And then mostly uh, user sites and manufacturing part. Uh, when I was working in the CPO, like a crude palm oil uh, plantation companies, and there's an interesting culture there, culture there. The culture is like a landlord culture because it's plantation, right? It's like a very uh, old traditional culture there. And then you cannot uh, convince them only by using numbers, even though it's hard, solid facts, data and numbers, right? And I need to understand the way that people are doing things in the plantations, then it's actually very personalized because you're staying there, you, uh, you, you're going to stay there like a year, two years in the plantation part, and the head of the plantation also, the head of the manufacturing staying there. Uh, sometimes they can bring their family. Sometimes they cannot bring their families uh, from uh, far away. So this is something that if you want them to change, you have to approach them personally. Like you're going to talk to them uh, like from, from, from night until midnight. You're going to drink a lot of coffee and beers with them and smoking with them a lot. Just staying there, just staying there by their sides listen to them talk like hours sometimes at days then you get their trust 100 percent there albert 100 percent me and john have many a conversation that end with uh, we're convinced that humans just they're emotionally driven first all of them are and we only use our conscious mind to justify what our emotions already decided for us yeah. <laughs> and we're working backwards to figure that out we're going to cut to a brief commercial while John and I practice your last name. Octavianus. Octavianus. Just call Octavianus. We thought the Anus part. <laughs> Albert Hill. Albert Hill. Yeah. Al, I love that last paragraph, how you figured out that palm oil plantation culture was very unique compared to something like a fast fashion industry in downtown Jakarta. 
And I have to give you a compliment. I'm really impressed with the level of emotional intelligence that you're bringing to the change management conversation. I think that sometimes I've seen that missing and it's a critical element to uh, facilitating change effectively and rapidly. Uh, thank you, John. Uh, yeah, that's the thing, right? Uh, I mean, uh, because I've, I've compared it uh, in, uh, in my experience here for industry, right? Like I to, uh, told you that previously in my first uh, act, right, my first career as a change management, it started actually in a pulp and paper manufacturing uh, business. And it's quite, uh, also quite unique because uh, when you're talking about pulp and paper, it's end-to-end, -end, right? Starting from the forestry part and then until the end uh, product part. So uh, it's almost the same like the plantation. You have the upstream and the downstream. But uh, so when I go through all of these uh, meals uh, uh, for the pulp and papers and doing the change management part, it's actually not uh, only for the system implementations part, but uh, we try to do what maybe uh, nowadays people call lean organizations. But back then, they call it high performance organization, HPO, right? Now, please keep in mind, again, like uh, 20 years ago, when people talk about lean organizations, it has a little bit of a uh, bitter taste on it. Because when people saying lean, people will think about like uh, efficiencies, and then people will think about uh, related to the things like uh, layoffs of the jobs, everything else, right? So, and I play a part on uh, as a change management there also, uh, also the part of the, maybe you can call it uh, from the judge, jury, and execution, executioner, I'm, I'm the part of the judge and jury, because again, uh, this is the hard part. Uh, this is the hard side of the change management. I have to convince people uh, that, okay, you can have how many uh, FTEs efficiency if you uh, improve this business process, right? But we talk about FTEs, the productivities, right? That's not headcount. I have to convince them to the top management levels even though they are still trying to say that, no, it's headcount, no, it's this productivity, it's not headcount. It depends on how you move this productivity around your companies and then to achieve better productivities by still becoming lean organizations. Now, that's the hard part in terms of literal uh, terms and then in terms of the hard side of change management. But saying that, then, uh, the, the power of the companies, even though they have the upstream and downstream, in the downstreams, the manufacturing sites already have like, uh, you know, uh, very clean cut situations in each of the bad departments, right? You have the, the uh, paper rolls, you have the confession, the cut uh, papers, and then you have the, the raw material, the pulp, everything else. And then from there, going into the palm plantations sites, I mean, the way you approach them, like I told you previously about the heart, the hand, and the head. The emotional part and then the hand part, they have like a silver lining actually. But why it's becoming much uh, more challenging in the heart part? Because uh, while in the pop and paper business, where they're building the plants, they're building the mills, or the newspaper mills, usually 
people who work in the paper mills are the people from the surrounding areas. This is why major, right? And people work there for years. But in the plantation part, sometimes the people who work in the plantations coming from faraway islands, from faraway countries, uh, not country, well, country actually, with people from Malaysia, from Singapore, everything else. And then uh, this actually impacts their emotionally. Right, because uh, like I told you, going away and then for years, longing. Sometimes they have families in other sides of the islands, everything else, and then they only can go back like couple of months, uh, like couple of weeks every couple of months, something like that. So sometimes you you need to put that into considerations when you're doing this uh change management part, and then uh when you put like the list of the impact, uh for the organizations, you have to put some notes there saying that okay this person this head of uh, plantations is uh, resisting because he actually experiencing more than two major changes in his life life right now besides our projects in the departments in his departments he also experiencing like uh, maybe uh, he has a family sick far away and then he has to move or like he has to move all of his family to this new city because uh but still quite far away from the site of the plantations so this is something that uh, again the emotional part the hard part right and then that's led to the hand part how you can nudge his behavior how and then that's why i told you uh, all that we need to uh, empower the leadership commitment saying that okay we understand about your hard part, your emotional part. Then you can nudge your behavior part. You can do these things safely. You don't have to worry about your family because you can cover all your health expenses, something like that. Now that's come from the leadership. And that's where the culture comes in. Yeah, right? I think that it's almost a necessity that you come to terms and know what your people care about and you care about what they care about. Like you have to, if you're going to start to judge that and moving the hand and heart becomes that much easier when you actually know those things that matter to them. Yeah, well said. Yeah, and to go along with that, I, I think that's common in a lot of industry where any attempt to improve efficiency is seen with some suspicion by the people doing the work because they wanna know who's gonna get fired. And you mentioned, lean having a bad taste in some people's mouth. Uh, that's true to this day. And when I talk to companies, I don't usually market myself as a lean implementation expert, um, but rather as an operational excellence consultant. I can help you get better. And I'm gonna use the tools from lean and Six Sigma and theory of constraints and these other uh, theories to help you get better. But what I'm not gonna do is turn you into a lean organization because most organizations already have a business operating system, right? And for the employees doing the work, it's uh, scary. It's just scary to hear if we change the process, we can reduce the FTE requirement by 1.5. And so then the whole team is standing around going, who's the one and a half people that are going to get fired? Right? <laughs> now, that's absolutely the wrong way to do lean. Right. The, the correct way would be, how do I free up that 1.5 FTE to do a different value added activity? And this is where 
I think there's some confusion. Lean, in particular, is a growth strategy, not a cost-saving strategy. And people don't understand the way the tools are, are supposed to work. But what I can tell you is the first time you have any kind of efficiency savings project, whatever you call it, and you fire people, you're never going to get buy-in ever again for any change until every single person on that team that experienced that has left because they will fight it tooth and nail. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that, John. I mean, like, uh, I think lean and clean organizations, or I'm not talking about organization process, everything else, right? Should be like like uh, the embodiment of like Jake here with the lean and slick body, I guess, right? <laughs> Thank you very much for that comment. That actually, yeah, <laughs> that's a uh, that's very uh, very deep, and I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Jake. Also. Yeah, I mean, uh, but uh, you know, again, uh, while doing that, uh, like like you said, John, I mean, like uh, whatever you call it, right? It's the way how we approach it, right? And, and then how we convince the management, how they approach it. Uh, because sometimes like, uh, I think uh, you or Jake even like uh, already experienced this, like when you comes in, uh, like a management already, like asking you to help them, right? Uh, as, as an uh, outsider or like the third party coming in, helping with their companies, uh, with the operational excellence and everything else. One of the things that, that I also experienced uh, is actually not doing the project itself, but it's actually convincing the management that, okay, we're on the same page here. Are we? Are you sure we are on the same page here? That's the thing, that they first come in, even before the kickoff, we're doing the pre-kickoff of the project, and they say, hey, top management. So this is what you meant, right? by our proposals, we meant this, uh, and then we have to remind them again, because sometimes they only like uh, saying that, oh, okay, I know uh, John and Jack by name, and I believe their uh, capabilities that, okay, just come in and then do your thing, right? Do your magic. Sometimes, uh, but when, when we did our thing, and they said, wait, no, that's not what we meant. So this is something that uh, I also experienced in like uh, business improvement projects and ISO projects and that even now in change management or HR projects. I mean, the first thing is like, uh, again, back then, yes, culture might be uh, more into the how people uh, uh, perceive how they work, uh, what they see or what they hear mostly every day they work, but uh, most of it will be, be driven by the perception of the top management, the founder of the companies, and then the, the direct BODs levels, cascading down into the working levels, right? While we, as uh, the, the third party coming in and helping the companies, we have to build from the bottom up all of these uh, you know, initiatives, all of these uh, working levels, people with their heart and, uh, again, with their uh, heart and hands until we exist on the head. But, we have to prepare our like uh, ace card from the leadership, uh, you know, uh, engagement and commitment, cascading down. So we meet in the middle, but the effort mostly uh, bringing that things bottom up, because if you're just doing that, because you are like uh, change, change comes in two pace, right? In two uh, tracks, 
either it's compliance or it's acceptance. It's compliance is only top down. I mean, okay, I'm doing this because my boss said so, but it's becoming like a ticking bomb. It's like a time bomb there. It's only compliance. But this acceptance is coming from inside. Like the working levels, the employees really want to change from there uh, because they're more internal, internal motivations and it will last longer. The adoption will last longer. So we try to, uh, to, to, to meet in the middle because we try to make them more into the acceptance part. Maybe you cannot win it all. Maybe uh, like 30% of the employees go into the compliance. Yes. But if I can take like 50% of the employees' populations go into the acceptance, it's a win. Yeah, so, I love I love the phrase compliance is a time bomb. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely love that. And you know, just to hearing a little bit about your background and the different industries you talk about, I haven't worked in any of them, but there is nothing you haven't said that I can't immediately relate to. Like the same struggles we have on this side of the water with a dearth and like real people management and those interpersonal skills that get you the outcomes you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, I love the um, acceptance and compliance uh, matrix for looking at change management. And you're right, most of the time, there is an element of compliance, no matter how hard you try. And I guess the goal is to have as few people in that category as possible. But as we're talking through it, it occurs to me that we're implying something, right? We have the leadership and the top down, and then we have the people doing the work, the bottom up, the grassroots, we call it. And the people doing the work have to change their behaviors on a consistent basis for the change to stick. So if there's a conflict there, if we have to sort of triangulate or bridge between those, it does imply something. And what it implies is that the perspective and values of the two different groups aren't aligned. And I've seen that on many occasions. Most of the time, I've found that the lack of alignment has to do with uh, communication. So for example, the business owners, the business managers, may want to see a change because they want the business to be more efficient. Now the people doing the work, they don't want the business to be less efficient, but the business efficiency is not as important as their salary and their safety in the organization. So they're working to provide for their family. Like you said, they might live on another island or another country. They might be sending money home every week to their family. That's what matters the most to them is preserving that. And so if we can find a way to translate these business objectives into things that the people doing the work value, we can speed up the rate of change. Uh, through that, John, communications, yes. Uh, so these are the things, uh, uh, one, uh, I mean, one of the tools of the change management uh, that's quite critical. Uh, but here's the thing, right? There's always two sides of the same coins. When talking about communications, like most of the uh, change management practitioners uh, currently, uh, not currently, sorry, the, the, the people that are knows about our change management, but not really uh, uh, the, the, the deep practitioners in change management, sometimes they thought that 
case management equals communications, right? Because sometimes you come in and then, oh, okay, uh, so you want to make our change? Yeah. So please help us with this event, with these posters, with this, uh, you know, uh, newsletters or thing. But that's mostly communications, right? Uh, and then uh, not the whole change management team. But I agree the communication is the critical part of change management. That's why uh, remember I mentioned that you have to have uh, uh, to stand on the same page with the top leadership first. Then you can communicate what are their change visions actually, right? So I experienced also uh, becoming uh, the, 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 what we call the PDCA manager, right? The plan to check action manager in one of the, the uh, consumer goods company. But the PDCA is actually not related directly to the operationals, but it's actually a part of the performance management uh, project. Performance management corporate cascading into the individual levels in that time. Uh, so when I come in and I'm, I'm coming uh, as uh, the counterpart from the consultant, because uh, at the time we are also hiring the consultants and then I'm becoming the counterpart inside the companies uh, internally. And then I was uh, asking the consultant like, okay, how, how are you uh, defining the KPIs? How are you defining the, 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 what our performance mean for these companies, right? And then he was telling me this and then, oh, the KPI, we, all, we did like a three nights, nonstop uh, discussion, workshop with the leaders, everything else. And, okay, that's good. But when I bring them to the, 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 the stakeholders, right? Uh, to the workers, to the working levels, and then they have different perspective of the, the, the what they meant for performance. Like this is a, a consumer goods company coming up from the very strong sales and distribution backgrounds, right? And then most of the sales saying that for me, performance is like I can go out there doing uh, my sales uh, uh, track like uh, one day full nonstop. I can get as many uh, stop uh, at the stores as many as possible in one day. That's all. That's my what I call performance. And then after that, the second one is like, I can get a lot of hits. People are buying the products because of my sales, uh, because of my sales track there, stopping in each of the stores. That's it. That's the performance for them. I say, no, that's not all. Because according to the management, they are cascading, because it's a bad scorecard kind of thing, right? They're cascading this performance. These are your performance. And they have like a bunch, like usually you're doing like only tracking by yourself, achievement and everything else, like two or three KPIs maximum. Now, after this project, they have like a 10 or 15 KPIs. They're like, what? No, I just, I don't want to do that because it will cut into my sales time. I cannot uh, go around telling something. Now, this is something that uh, when the, the consultant, I, I, I was telling the consultant, like, you know what, self you I'm going to do this because for them it's just too many. We cannot do this, and then uh, why don't you group it into like the criticals and then the important and nice to have KPIs, right? And after that, we can prioritize it. And then what that's what it did, and then uh, uh, yeah, and then fortunately, it works. Uh, the resistance is little bit little, uh, little by little, it's like uh, decreasing, it's still there. But it's decreasing, and then uh, yeah, I mean this 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 just to show you that 
even though we're using balanced scorecard, everything is cascading and then doing communications. But if the change visions and then the, the are not on the same page until uh, the working levels, the resistance will always be there. And it, it, it again, a ticking time bomb. That's a great word, Al. And I really appreciate the depth of knowledge and experience that you've brought to the conversation. I think a lot of our listeners have to deal with change management a lot. And I think you've brought a lot of value to us and to our audience in some challenges that you faced, that we all face, and how to handle it, and a healthy philosophy for dealing with change management and getting the results that we need. As we wrap up the episode, do you have any encouragement or words of wisdom for our audience today? Managing change is, doesn't have to be a, a work or a job for change management practitioners. I mean, I think we all did it. Like you, John, Jake, also, in every, any kind of industry, any kind of jobs, you will uh, need to equip yourself in ways to manage change, right? Because every day we also face with change maybe we don't uh, really uh, you know uh, think about it because we do it like again uh, because it's a, like a muscle reflex and then maybe like oh it's a traffic jam you have to change your route or oh, that's managing a change right small things like that so if you do that just remember uh, that uh, it's always involved the 3h right so you have to uh, maintain the emotional levels. You have to also understand about the, the physical levels, the hand, but how it can affect affect also your mind and your mindsets and all these three things and accepting the change and manage it. So I think everybody can uh, can become a change management uh, practitioners. Uh, just have a faith in yourself. <laughs> What a great word, Al. Thank you so much for joining and sharing with us today. Ladies and gentlemen, Albert Octavianus. Be sure to connect with him on LinkedIn. I put the link below. And we are thankful that you joined us this week. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>